Bibles to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who strive, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, who made heaven and earth. God, we thank you. There's so many reasons why we can complain. There's so many reasons why we can grumble. There's so many reasons why, Lord, we could sit here depressed. There's tons of them. Satan is very faithful in letting us know why you just haven't shown up in our minds. But Lord, I pray today we will see through your eyes. Not the eyes that Satan provides to us. Not the eyes that the world gives us. Not the way this world determines whether things are good or bad. But Lord, that we will see through your eyes. So that we would learn. And to learn to thank you. To complain less. To grumble less. So we bless your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Just want to let you know Life App does start back next week. We're going to go for two weeks in December and next week. And two weeks in December. A little bit different. Why? This whole new year, we're going to focus on being intentional. We can't be apathetic about God anymore. And that's what this passage is going to teach us today. I think that one of the worst conditions that God can put on people is to say thanks when you don't feel it. I remember testing this at my mother's burial. I remember standing by her gravesite, and my family has a tradition that I wasn't want to be a part of. I didn't want to be a part of. They kept telling me the tradition that my family has is as somebody passes away, they would put some dirt in this shovel and shovel it on the grave as a way of saying, we bless you and we know where you are and we uh, want to say that you're, we're not burying you today because you're still in our hearts. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing. It's a thing. But I told them I couldn't do it. I could not take a shovel and do that. So my family, nor my family, they don't push you. They say, cool, everybody's going to grieve differently. We're good. But I remember standing there saying, God, here's the test of all tests. How can you expect me to say thanks? How could you expect? I, I didn't, it wasn't a grumble. It wasn't a complaint. It was a question. How at this moment, since you say in all things give thanks, I say thanks. Teach me that now. I don't want you to teach me it when things are good. I want you to teach me it when it's like this today. Remember asking the same question when my sister passed. How could you expect me to say thanks? 
And God taught me a lot in that question because I like to ask questions to grow and to learn from situations because he says in every trial, if you approach it right, I'll make you better. This is the kind of scenario you're talking about in this passage. I purposely picked it, COVID, <laughs> job situations, economy situations, difficulties that people faced. People have buried many people. Some people haven't been able to go to funerals during COVID. And as we continue forward with our focus in 2023, that we have to be intentional in what God is calling us to. We can't wait for right times. He never does. He never waits for the right time to tell Israel to leave Egypt. It wasn't the right time. It was the worst time. He never tells people to trust him at the right times because then trust is not needed. They're standing in front of Goliath. Trust me. That's not the time. I trust you when things are going well and I seek to go to church then. No, when things are worse, David would say, my soul panted for thee as a deer panteth after water. It's in the worst times that God would say to everybody, have zeal in the worst times. I'm not messing with your football team, but I actually look at people who go to losing teams and say, go Texans. I actually like that because what they're saying is, I'm a Texan. I don't need you to win to be a Texan. I'm a Texan. I'm going to support this team in the good or the bad. I'm no baggage over my face. I'm going to be there when they're drafting people. I'm going to be at the draft parties. I'm going to be at all those things because I am a Texan. If you don't have to win to be a Texan. I'm a Texan. That's a different kind of fan. It's interesting to see the Astros when they were losing really bad, how empty the stands were. It's empty to stand. The stands were very empty. Not that they are world champions. The tickets are high and the stands are full. It seems like we are only excited when things are a winner in our eyes. We don't seem to be excited when things in our eyes are not winners. This is the time when everything in this passage, that's taken around, going on in this passage, says losers. This is not a time in this passage where everything says winners. They're coming back from what a call we call in big seminary classes post-exilic. What does that mean? It sounds fancy, but it's not. The Israel chose not to listen to God. God spent time talking to them, interacting with them, trying to get them to listen. They wouldn't listen. So God put them in exile. He took the nation out and dropped them into 70 years of being in another place. And even in that place, he blessed them. But it was not, not a country, different kind of situations. Friends, just to give you an example. Daniel may not have eaten the food, but they cut his hair. They dressed him different. His whole situation and his circumstances was different. He just was going to violate the word of God and what God was saying about the food. But Daniel's circumstances were drastically different. His job environment was hostile. He went to work to a hostile environment all the time. You see it with him going, eventually going to a lion's den. They, that's what we call the exile. In the midst of the exile, Jeremiah writes the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, when you read it, you would see that the place is rubble. It is so bad that women ate their babies to survive. They became cannibalistic to survive. They couldn't grow anything in a dry climate. The people were running spice trades through Jerusalem, and they were abusing the people. So if they saw that there was a strong, strapping son born, they would take the son and make the son work for them. 
and they were suffering horribly, those who chose to stay in Jerusalem, and that's why you have the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is a time of lament. You walk around just crying all day long with the rubble because people wouldn't listen. We've come to that time where people don't come to church to grow, they come to church to go to heaven. They don't come to church to find Christ, they come to church for Christ to find them, to bless them. They don't come to learn the scriptures, they come to tell God what to think. And if God doesn't think the way they want him to think, they go church hopping to get God to say what they want him to say. Same circumstances, so God put us in exile. For the last three years, there's been a virus that has taken a million people in this country. If you study the scriptures, that is God's allowing Satan to bring a plague. You see that in the Bible. You see David dealing with 70,000 people dying in a day because people wouldn't listen to God. But when God starts to allow things to be rescued, it doesn't mean that he fixes everything right away. The economy is a struggle. Some people still have health issues. You've got all kind of polarization in our government. He doesn't bring it back perfectly. So when these people went back to, the, to, their, to their land, they found a place full of rubble. That's where you have the book of Nehemiah. The walls were half built. Nehemiah built it, completed it in 52 days. He was a cupbearer, but he managed an entire kingdom. As a cupbearer means he managed an entire kingdom. So they came back to this rubble. They came back to jackals running through the walls. That's why the people neighboring cities will mock them when they were trying to build it because they didn't have the materials to build it. It took Nehemiah two years to go back to help to build it. Two years to get back. And then he had to help rebuild the wall. So the, the situation when you read it, the people are struggling with rebuilding so hard. Je Nehemiah found them discouraged, not wanting to try anymore. And it's in the midst of all of this, this psalm is written. The psalm is not written in the best times. It's not written where the people are doing well. It's not written in the times where everything is a blessing. It's not written in a time where everything is coming together and doing great. It's not written in those times. It's written when you're looking at your house and it's rubble. You're looking at your house and you, on one hand, you have a place where you're building the wall. On the other hand, you have a sword to protect your family. And you, you, you're standing in front of your house and a whole group of soldiers showed up, warrior soldiers, and they showed up and they take your daughter because she's pretty and they make her a concubine and you can't fight it off because you have no army you're in a time when you, you they take your strapping young son and take him away to help them with their spice trade so they can make money you're in that time and God writes this psalm in that time and he is telling them that in this time where is your zeal for me if, if your zeal for me is based on how the circumstances are, if your zeal for me is based on how good things are, then it was never there. Your zeal for me was never there. You never had a passion for me. You never had a love for me. You never had a passion to go do what I say no matter what. You just came to me for what you can get from me. You didn't come to me because of who I am. You see, people that support a team, they support that team. They love their team. Whether that team is good or bad, they're jumping up, putting cheese on their head, running around in colors. I watch some of these teams with a college football. They got their stuff painted. They're screaming. They're hollering. They're going on. People, when they love something, they pour their heart into it. Some people love their cars. You better not touch it. There's some people that love their money. You better not mess with it. They go from being nice to being twisted, like in two seconds. 
Some people love their house, their neighborhood, and man, they put time and energy into it. Some people love their families. Some people just love their God. Their God could be basketball team, money, and they give everything to it. So you can't tell me that we can't have zeal. It's impossible to tell me that. Some people love their jobs. Rain or shine, they're at that job. And they'll do whatever that person asks. Yes, sir, master, sir. Because they want to pay their bills and go where they want to go. So for their job, their zeal, whether the boss is messed up, whether the, whether the, the, the people in the job act good, whether the circumstances of the job is great, that's my job. I got to go. They're on time. They stay late. They have a zeal. See, a zeal doesn't come from good times. David built a house for God in the bad time because of a love he has for, him, for the Lord. That's why God is saying, no, if, if I really mean something to you, God actually exposed people during COVID. He exposed them. Because when COVID came and the convenience of Virtual service came. People became complacent. But they were going to football games. They're going to basketball games. They're going shopping. They're going all over the place. I jumped on planes, packed. Zeal was there. That's why he says this is the heart that leads to him blessing people. I'm not, there's so many people today that say, bless you in the city, bless you in the field, bless you when you come and you go. Everybody wants to be blessed. Today I want to show you what simply leads to blessings and what God doesn't tolerate when we lack zeal. This is what he says. He says, pay attention to this. In the midst of their distractions, pay attention. In other words, don't let your distractions of this life cause you to take your eyes off of Christ. There's always going to be distractions. Always going to be distractions. All the time. I mean, you know, you, 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 there's distractions just yesterday. We're going out to feed the hungry. We're going out to have all the baskets already done. And I said, Lord, I was literally standing because you, you could complain to God, but you can't complain away from God. So I was literally standing in my study going, God, really? Really, God? All week, no rain. All week, no rain, God. And now you're going to have it rain? When we put all this effort into packing these boxes and reaching out to the community, the staff has been answering phone calls, putting together a list. Now, God? Really? I said to myself, you know what? I just prepared this sermon on zeal. Let's see who was going to be there. Let's see what's going to be there. It's great to go over there and see people put up a tent. Bute got a tent there. People under the tent. People carrying out boxes in the rain. Got their little hats on. I'm serving God. I said, okay, God, yes. Zeal. Rain didn't stop. There's always distraction. There's always things that would come up because he wants to test. Are you serious or are you not? Think about it for a minute. Go to the promised land. He had 400 years to make these giants short people. 400 years. He could have made them midgets. 
He didn't. God allowed his people to be nine foot tall. And listen carefully, they love war. And then another day, are people who, well, I'll fight you if you come in my city. No, would you please come in my city so I can fight you? There's a difference between a person who defends their house or defends their neighborhood and a person who says, man, I wish you would. I've met those people. I, I, I'm serious. I've met some people in the hood like that. They, they, they want to fight. They walk by, by you and just hit you in the shoulder just so you see what you're going to do and turn around and look at you. You ready? No, I'm not trying to do anything. Yes, you try to hit me. No. I mean, they just want to fight. I've met them kind of people. They walk around looking for one. They, they, they literally show you like how they walk. And then when you stop and look at them, they go like that. You know what that means. That's the warriors he put in the promised land. The walls weren't just thick. They were double enforced. So in 400 years, God created an impossible situation for any human being on their own without God to accomplish. And then he told them to go. Do you know what he did to the Red Sea? He put it at flood stage. You could have walked across the Red Sea like the Rio Grande. He put it at flood stage and tell a man, use a stick. Are you going to pay attention to me and trust me? Or are you going to wait for the circumstances to be right before you bless me? That's why he's saying, in the midst of the distractions, let's check out your heart. Deuteronomy chapter 8, he would say, he said to them, I only put you there for you to see where your heart really is. So if I don't bless you in the promised land, you can't talk about God didn't do this and God didn't do that. No, I showed you your heart by putting you in the wilderness to teach you that man shall not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I wanted to teach you that before I gave you the promised land and bless you. Do you know that one soldier died when they obeyed God and went into the promised land against those giants? Why? Because they were doing it within the will of God. He says, you will be blessed when you stay within my will. The circumstances could be crazy. Distractions are high. But the first thing about putting God's center is to say, behold, I ain't taking my eyes off of you. You know, I, I was tested this way sitting on Galveston with my wife. You know, we, every now and then I do crazy things. I say, hey, babe, let's go to Galveston. Oh, let me go home and get some clothes. You don't need clothes. No, I got to get some clothes. No, you don't need no clothes. We just go to, we get some, pick up some stuff from Walmart. We good. No, no, no. So she forced me to go home. So we go home and we go sit on the Galveston beach and get some hot wings. That's our thing. That's our thing. We just drive. Just jump in the car and drive. Well, when I was in Galveston, we sitting there. We get this little mat from Walmart, and we're sitting on the beach, eating our hot wings, minding our own business. This girl comes running right in front of me, and she was legally dressed. I'm going to let you figure that out on your way home. She was legally dressed. In other words, the, the law allowed that. And I mean, she came right in front of me. And bent over to pick up a ball. And I had no sense but to say, beautiful waves. I, I made it worse. I made it worse. But I could tell the minute she got in front of me, I felt Superman's eyes right here. 
I felt him right here. That's the worst thing to put me into. As, um, that's, anybody that knows me know you just started trouble because I'm going to start playing around right away. You know, and so the girl, lady comes. I don't think she meant anything. Her son ran out into the water, and she just was chasing to him to get the ball and stuff like that. She was playing with her son. I don't think nothing evil of it. She just she dressed kind of. Mm. Anyway, we back to this passage of Scripture. Because my wife said to me, she says, how do you know how she's dressed, by the way? Whoa, tough question. I said, well, she's right in front of me. We were looking at the waves. I saw some different ones. That's why. <laughs> so I got in more trouble, you know. In other words, in my, my wife's mind, we are here to have a good time to relax. Behold, am I still the center of your attention? God is saying there's always distractions in life. Satan will create fires all around us. The question is, when Satan is creating a fire, do I have such a passion for God that he never moves that passion away from God? If Satan keeps, this is what I was talking about last week when I said, remain sober-minded. Sober means I'm not drunk with worries and cares. Because if I'm drunk with worries and cares all the time, the Bible says I don't grow up. Look at Luke chapter, chapter, chapter 8. Come with me to Luke chapter 8 verse 14. I don't grow up spiritually. I will always be a spiritually immature person. If I don't just stop and say, God, you have the attention. You have my focus. You have my, my complete attitude towards you is, God, if anything took me off of you, I'm coming right back to you to say, God, forgive me for that, and I'm going right back. Why? Because he says, I got to be sober-minded. I must gird up my mind that Satan is trying to mess my mind over to get me in all kind of directions, and in order to make sure that doesn't happen, I have to make sure my feelings don't get drunk with worries and cares and struggles and pain and hardship and difficulties. That it makes me not have my mind right. Because the minute that happens, he says, I stop growing spiritually if I keep letting that happen. In Luke chapter 8 verse 14, he says, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with the worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Please underline the word no fruit to maturity. None. So if Satan, can, if Satan can keep us distracted then, and keep us going in all kinds of directions emotionally, then guess what literally happens? I don't have a zeal for God. I got a zeal to solve my problems. And I'm always solving problems. So what do you think Satan keep doing? Giving me what? More problems. More issues. More struggles. More pain. More financial stress. More of this. And I keep going all over the place. Then I come to God. I go, God, I need your help. And God is saying, I've always been a present help in your time of need. You just keep letting Satan make you drunk. So the first thing he's teaching us here is to slow down in the midst of all the distractions that have taken place and to never take your mind off of what is God teaching me to do? Because he's just trying to make me better, not worse or bitter. Here's the second thing he's saying back to Psalm 134. He says, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I, I, I like this because... We think when we say bless out of our mouth, God, I bless you, that it's done. I bless you, God, I bless you, it's done. 
God is not impressed by those words. Bless is an attitude, not a verbal thing. It's an attitude first. What does he mean? The word bless means to bow, to humble oneself, recognizing his authority. That's why he says bless the Lord, meaning I recognize he's in control, he has power, he has authority to do whatever he wants to do. So since you are the one that I look to and have my mind set on, I never let you come below who you are. You're always good. You're always righteous. You're always perfect. You never change. You're always loving towards me. You, you know my struggles so much you know the numbers of hairs on my head God you are the one who sits at the right hand of the father making intercession for me oh God I trust you I bless you I believe in you so God no matter what's going on I humbly come to you so because it doesn't matter who I am what I've achieved you are the king of kings the lord of lords so I come to you humbly I could achieve the best that the world has to have, but I could never be greater than you, so I humble myself before you. That, that, that's, that's what it means to humble oneself, to, to make sure and to bring oneself into adoration to God. That's what blessed means. And he's looking at the heart the whole time. When I come before God, do I adore him? Do I want to make sure that I see, me, see myself before him as his child, as somebody who the Bible says, you could be here today and gone tomorrow. He says, I'm like dust, Moses would say. If I see myself for who I am. I'm his disciple. I'm his child. I'm his slave. I'm his servant. As I come before him, that I want to see God do great. That's what the second part of blessed means. I want you to be great. I want you to be awesome. So God, I don't want to come to you as a non-Christian, always stressed out and frustrated and mad and upset. I want to come to you going, God, you are great. So I want to let the world know that in all times I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to come out of my mouth because I know you will love me. You care for me. You will never turn your back on me. You are forgiving God. If I've sinned, you will forgive me my sins if I confess them. Lord, you will never turn from the right and from the left for me. God, because I know that about you I want to see you do great so Lord I come in church my marriage could be this way you got this Lord because you're in control I bless you bless goes to this third thing I don't care about my circumstances because I trust you I trust in who you are I trust in the person that you are. You are too good to ever hurt me. You're too loving to ever change your mind on me. You're too present to ever forsake me. You are God that is so concerned about me, you'll be my lawyer in heaven. So God, I will never bring you down or keep you high because I trust you. So they can look at all the rubble and all the problems and say, bless the Lord. Go to Psalm 34 for a minute. Look at Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, David is standing before Abimelech, and Abimelech is the person from whom Goliath came from. So David is the one who killed his big giant. And David is the one who caused his army to be weakened very quickly. So David is concerned that if this man knows he's David, that this man will kill him. So David is scared out of his mind that this would happen. So David decides because of he would not let nothing take his mind off of God, David's response in a very difficult, fearful time, alone before Abimelech, says this. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Not sometimes, all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble, back to this humble thing, will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify it. Oh, David, are you crazy? This man want to kill you. You're not getting it. My God is present help in a time of need. He's my wheel in a wheel. He's my rose of Sharon. He is the one who protects and keeps me. I don't care what the circumstances look like in front of me. I'm going to keep my mind fixed and say, bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be in my mouth. I will humble myself before God and give him praise because I trust him. I trust him. And I was flying... One day I was flying at, uh, uh, the guy says, it's funny how it happened. The guy says, we are now at 35, 34,000 feet in the skies. And, you know, a woman says to me, you're a preacher. Ah, here we go. <laughs> here we go. We're rocking now. He says, ah, why, why, why do y'all believe in God like that? I say, you know, ma'am. At 34,000 feet, you need Jesus. He said, what do you mean? I said, wow, you still have a question. I said, have you met the pilot? No. Do you know where the pilot was before he went into the cockpit? No. Do you even know if there's a pilot in the cockpit? No. If you look at me, huh? I said, yes, you came in the plane, the door was locked, and you sat down. If this plane hits the ground, it's right now traveling, go to the monitor, it's traveling right now at 400 and something miles an hour. If it goes to the ground, it will go probably at 700 to 800 miles an hour will hit the ground. If it goes straight down, you don't survive. And you know nobody. And you still don't believe in God. I went ahead and finished my meal because she got quiet. And just in case, just in case, you want to know God, you need Jesus. Do you want to find that out? She got quiet. You see, we trust so many other things. Some of y'all going to restaurants, some of you going, know your food is coming from the back. Don't know the person, but be going all kinds of ways. I don't like this food. Only one time in my life, I let people talk me into sending my food back. But I don't ever send my food back. It could be the worst. I don't send it back. Y'all do that. God bless you. It came out once. It's kind of like a plane. How many, how many, he said, hey, do you like, we'll just get a connection when you're coming to speak. Nope, one time up, one time down. I'm good. I don't need to drop here, drop there, go there. Nope, nope. One time up, one time down. We good. It comes from the back one time. I eat it. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm good. But y'all be doing all kind of things. And then y'all don't even give a tip. Some of y'all are horrible with that. Well, it wasn't that good. The, the, the server didn't cook the food. The server served the food. The server give the server a tip. Don't give the cook a tip, but give the server a tip. In the, okay, this is a different conversation, but you know what I mean. People trust all the time. Doc, here's the medicine. All right, thank you. Go to the pharmacist. Pick it up. Drink it. Trust. Don't know the doctor. Don't know how many times the doctor has had somebody dead. Never ask the question. You need surgery. Okay, doc, when do the surgery? 
Have you ever stopped to ask, how many surgeries have you done in this area and who have died? No, we just show up for surgery at 6 o'clock in the morning, ready to go. Pray for me, Pastor Cannons. We don't know. Some of us get a used car, drive out of the driveway of the, of the, of the, of the dealership, and go at 70 miles an hour and yet to check the bricks. Not even come out the lot and go, press it a couple of times. Let me press it more times. And then drive. No, we just, man, I got me a new car. We on the yeah, we drive a new car, man. Check my ride, man. I got something. And just driving. I never check the brakes. And then God says, in the good or the bad times, bless the Lord. He's always good. He's never wrong. He's completely holy. He's always in the right place at the right time because he's everywhere all the time. He knows everything. He went to Calvary's cross and died for us when we weren't even looking for him. And we, in the worst of the worst times, can't say like David, bless the Lord at all times. And I want you to see what David went with this. David says, when you do this, watch this carefully. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. This, 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 you cannot miss this in this text in Psalm 34. Look down on verse 7. He says, this is how you realize what you got. He says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, who reverence him, who adores him, who honors him. The people who stay focused on behold, who keep their minds on Christ, who don't let the struggles of this life make them unsober, make them sober, make them drunk. They, the struggles of this life and the difficulties of life, don't get them drunk. They keep their minds on Christ. He says, the person who does that, look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see at the Lord. You only taste him when you do this. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. For those who fear him, there is no lack of nothing. Persons don't lack nothing. Why? Because they said in the midst of the worst times of their life, bless you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I'm complaining, Lord. I'm not grumbling, Lord, because I know you have my best at heart. So, God, no matter what's going on, you will take the wrong and make it good if I keep loving God. If you love me with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, I will let you love anybody, and I'll work all things out for your good if you keep loving me. So that's why in the worst of the rubbles, watching their children going away, can't fight back, building walls and rubble, the psalmist says to them, if you want God's blessing, accept this command and bless him. It's a command that you bless him. It's funny when you read down further down Psalm 34 where it says those who choose to live righteous would have more troubles than those who don't. So that's why people get twisted, you know. They go, man, my life is a mess, man, and I gave my life to Christ. I said, huh, well, you decided to join God's army and Satan says, what? So if your life is cakewalk every day, nothing ever goes wrong any day, Satan says, I ain't got to mess with you, I already got you. I got you. I don't need to do nothing with you. And that's why he says this. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 134. He says, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Who serve by night. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you crazy? He says, all servants of the Lord. All servants. He's not expecting the non-safe people to do it. Only the people who have a servant heart. The people who have a servant heart, he says, let all servants serve him. All of them. So in other words... 
The people who end up with a zeal for God are the ones who have a servant heart. What does that mean? Servant heart means, God, I'm your slave. I, I work in your fields because this is your earth. I'm your slave. When I come to my marriage, I'm your slave. When I go to my kids, I'm a slave. When I go to work, I don't need nobody to be over me telling me what to do because I'm your slave. God, when I come to church, I'm so grateful for what you've done. I'm your slave. Where could I serve? What could I do? I'm your slave. He says, everybody that does continually serve God with a slave mindset will do it all night. (laughs) Do it all night. Do, do, Do you know something? Whether you do it or not, God does it. Let me give you for instance, right? Right now, it is going on 11 o'clock. In Rwanda, Kenya, it's seven hours ahead. In some parts of the world, it's nine hours ahead. So when you finish worshiping God, guess what? There's a whole bunch of people who already did, and a whole bunch of people who will start, because there's some people behind us. Whether we like it or not, God's going to be worshiped all night long. Because the Bible says he never sleeps nor slumbers. So if God is never sleeping or slumbering, guess who he's serving all the time when you lay down and go to sleep and you're unconscious and you're in the hood and you got up with your stuff still there. Who was up all night? When you get up off of your job and you go outside and your car still there, who was up going through your job eight hours that day? When you turn around and you go to the store and you buy some chicken, who had the chicken nick and not a chicken? So when you arrive at the store, you got some chicken to buy. Did you do that? No, you brought some money to it to get it done. He was the one who made that happen. That's why David literally arranged the temple to worship God all night. I'm serious. David did that. David would have a group of people serve him during the day, and he have a group of people to serve him during the night. So 24 hours a day, people served. So when the pilgrims showed up from their long journeys to come to the temple, these were long journeys, if they arrived at night, they could bow before God and worship him because there was somebody in the temple ready to serve them because David arranged the temple to serve God all night long. Because God, if you take care of me all night, I will worship you all night long. That's zeal. That's the zeal you see Christ came to earth with. That's the passion he had. And that's why he says, if a person is like this, in verse 2, lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. (laughs) People like to lift their hands. And sometimes I wonder if y'all really know what that means. Do y'all really know what I mean? Yeah. When, in the Bible, when a person lifts up their hands, and the hands in the Bible means I'm in control, I'm, I'm in charge of my will and doing things. When I lift up my hands, I'm saying, God, I surrender to you everything that I ever had in control of my life, and I'm putting it under your authority and I also see that anything these hands have done, that's what in, second, in First Timothy chapter 2, he would call it holy hands. I did it in a way where I sought to keep my mind so focused on you, sought to keep blessing you the way you told me to, so that these hands became the work of your hands. 
So therefore, since everything I do in word or in deed brings you glory, these hands represent that I worship you all week long with these hands. So since these hands worship you all week long, I want to now bless you. I want to now raise my hands to you and say, I have no control. I respect your authority. And anything I accomplished came from you. And God, no matter what I've done, I've sought to do it under your authority. And that's why he says, do it in the sanctuary. Come like this place is holy. It used to twist me up, you know. It's one of the reasons why I was so determined to build this building. I walked into the, no, no, no harm done by the folks there. They had rented out the building, the legacy sanctuary, to a couple who were having a wedding. And I had to come to the church for something, and I walk in there, and they were dancing. And I said to myself, I don't know why it hit me so hard. I said, oh, my God. Wow, they didn't ask that question. They're having a boogie dance up in here. This is Saturday, and tomorrow we come to worship you in the same place. I said, oh, my God, you can't accept that. They didn't know after they left. I'm walking around saying, oh, God, please. But that motivated me because a sanctuary in the Bible is a place that is set aside, that's why it's sanctuary, just for God. No different than sanctification. It's just set aside for one thing, to worship God, to adore God. It is his place of holiness. It's, it's coming into the holies of holies. It's literally walking into the holies of holies. It is not just walking into pews and a song and a dance. It's literally saying, I walk into your house. That's why, that's why we do the Lord's Supper to start out. We do the Lord's Supper to start out to make sure that we have sanctified ourselves in his presence before we come and start singing before him. We respected his death and his resurrection. I know it means death most of the time, but I put the two together because if he died, but well, he got up from the grave. So it's not a memorial service. It's a service of remembrance. That's what it means. Not, not a, people like to sing these, these songs. I drive Anthony crazy. Like to sing these songs. Oh, he got up. No, 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 no. We ain't mourning nothing. He got up from the grave. This is a remembrance. It's not a memorial. And so he got up and we celebrate that because why? This is holy. So when I walk into his presence and I say, God, I lift up my hands to you. Think of a soldier in that day with a sword and fighting. I didn't go to war that wasn't just. I now come to you and I say, God, I surrender all. Because I'm so fixed on you, so blessed by you. And it's not until that verse is there, he talks about blessing you. Watch it. He talks about blessing you after God has become the center of my attention. That's when he says blessed. That's why some people say, well, I'm blessed. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, why is it here today and gone tomorrow? That ain't no blessing. The Bible says when God blesses you, it's established. Nothing could move it. Nothing could move it. When he said, I'll bless David's kingdom, Jesus Christ is reigning in Revelation. Can't touch it. Can't move it. No storm can erase it. No flood can deny it. Nothing. The economy doesn't change it. Because he put it in place. It is blessed. That's what he's talking about. He says, because of a person making God the center of their attention, he is saying to them, now I will bless you. I will bless you from where? Zion. 
Because you came and made my temple holy, I bless you from there. Go to Psalm 128 real quick. Go to Psalm 128. He says, I'll bless you from Zion. God doesn't bless us from our house. God doesn't bless us when we choose to stay home. God doesn't bless us. Then he said, no, no. If you respect me, you come home. You respect me, you come to my house. If you respect me, you come into my presence. If you respect me, you come and you worship me with all your heart and all your soul when you respect me. And if you will so respect me, and then you live respectful of me, I'll bless you, but I'll bless you from the place of worship. That's why giving is a big deal. It's not just about the money. It's about God, I worked with these hands. Do I now show by my gift, I recognize that I couldn't do it without you. Look at Psalm 128. He bless you from Zion. He doesn't just bless you because you, I got saved, I'm sanctified, I go into heaven, I'm blessed. No, he says, you are blessed because look at Psalm 128. How blessed is the one, everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. They're blessed. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands and you shall be happy. Happy is in the Bible. I will be well with you. You'll live long and healthy. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children are like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall a man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from where? Do you know what this means? We don't have the time for this. But David came to Jess, the Jebusites and he fought his way up this mountain called Mount Zion. And David didn't want to mess up the buildings because David saw, oh, this is good. So this thing started when David had a plague and he took tabernacle, he made a tabernacle on top of this mountain and then he comes back and these people built a, a whole lot of buildings on this mountain and David comes up, saw the Jebusites, David just took them down but saved the buildings. And they call this place Zion. Do you know how far this place goes? In the New Jerusalem, when God had come down and bring a city from heaven, guess where he's going to establish? A temple in Zion. See, folks understand. God is saying, you want to be blessed? You want to be blessed in the city, blessed in the fields, blessed when you go, when you come? Okay, no problem. Be a blessing first. Act like I am your blesser first. Respect me like I am your blesser. Respect me like I'm the one whose all blessings flow. Respect me as all good and perfect gifts come from above. Respect me like that does happen in the way you worship me. And when you do that, I'll bless you. It's not like I need to get something to send it to you. I got to go get me a job to get something to send to you. I could create out of nothing what I want to give to you. I, I could, out of nothing, I could create, and there it is. You need a job? I can make a company do well and need workers and put you right there. I don't need something to get something to give something. I bless you from Zion. Oh, I love this. He says, What's he who made the heavens and the earth? In other words, what you stressing for? He made the heavens and the earth. He took care of everything. He watched over everything. Folks, come on now. Could NASA keep this earth spinning? Could NASA keep the sun shining? Could NASA make the moons shine at night when the darkness comes out? No, they could go walk on it and talk about they got there, but they cannot make it shine. Could NASA make the galaxy work? Galaxy work? No. Could NASA make the, make the earth spin so there's a night and a day? Could NASA manage all of that? No. Who does that? 
The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that every day we see the rain fall and stop. A rainbow comes out. It's a constant reminder that everything that happens on earth is spoken by God in Hebrews chapter 1. So we, we think, oh man, hey, look, 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 the rain stopped. Oh, earthquake stopped. God spoke it into being. There's, there's nothing happening automatic. And people want to tell you about the ecological system and all these different things that are taking place and the ecosystem is set up this way. And this is why it's going to happen that way. And the radius from the sun to the moon and the sun to the to the sun to the, the earth and the moon to the earth, all these different things cause the radius so that the sun shines this way. That's why you have high tide because the sun and the moon and how it operates lead to high tide. They can tell you all of that. But the Bible is telling you, I speak it into being. That's why, that's why it amazes me when people say to me, I don't know when God is talking. And I'm going, did you wake up today? How are you talking about you don't know if God is talking? Did you eat today? How do you mean that God is talking? Didn't he tell Solomon, I take care of the sparrows. I take care. I'm the one, Solomon, that clothes the lilies of the field better than you clothed. How are you going to be telling me what you need and I can't provide? That's why he says, seek me first. And all these things shall be added unto you. If you come into my presence and you seek to bless the name of the God because you've centered your mind on pleasing him every day of every week. Yeah, I will bless you. There's a reason for that. Not the time, but there's a reason for that. The more people are blessed by God who worship him, is the more people will bless God for the people that are blessed for worshiping him. Girl, how did you, how did you do that? God is good. So the more God blesses the people that are a blessing to him is the more blessings he get by the people being blessed that were blessing him. Because people start to look at those people and go, what kind of nation is this that would come fight a war and nobody die? What kind of nation is this that the Red Sea would open up and they walk on dry ground? What kind of man is this that lions would shut their mouth? What kind of person is this that would stand in front of Goliath, the biggest, most seasoned warrior of our time, and knock him down with a stone? One stone, not five of them, one. What kind of God is this? Rahab would say, bump these gods. I'm going to serve you. But today, people mock the church. They don't bless the church. Because even when we come, do we come to bless God or just to get a blessing? Like God is a sugar daddy. You know, I told this story to the second service. I say it here. You know, there's times in your life where you, you get excited about your children. You know, some people would probably say it's degrees and all that, but for me it wasn't. For me, the greatest moments in my life as a father is seeing my wife cook up a storm, trying to satisfy two different uh, types of food, and going through the length of it, putting me in the grocery store, <laughs> all that stuff. And when all of this stuff is done, Two grown men, our sons, walk in the kitchen and say, Mama, sit down. We'll clean up the kitchen. No, no, no. Y'all going to enjoy your wives. And no, 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 Mama. Mama, we love you. Well, please go sit down. That day I sat down and I said, Oh, God. How many times I fussed these boys to help their mama? How many times I made them wash the dishes with their face all twisted? But today... They tell her to sit down. 
You see, my wife was blessed because they respected the blessing. You see, we believe today that because we have jobs, oh, this is why I drive this kind of car. You can't even put gas in it if it wasn't for God. You're sitting on leather seats. That's a cow that you never made. We go to our houses. Look at my house. Did you make the tree that put the wood in the house? We claim God's blessings, and that's why we can't bless him. But when you receive every good and perfect gift as a blessing, it is easy to bless him. And when he sees that kind of heart that stays fixed, he has no problem blessing you. People got it twisted today. Everybody's coming because they want a blessing. And God is saying, I am a blessing. Just continue to be a blessing and who I am will become who you are. I don't have to become a blessing. I am a blessing because I'm good. I'm perfect. I'm righteous. I'm holy in every way. There's nothing wrong about me. I don't need anything to give anything to you. I love you. I want to give to you. So why don't you just come and be a blessing and the person who is a blessing becomes a blessing to you because he always is a blessing. Every day you get up, he's a blessing. Every day you go to work, he's a blessing. Every day you fry an egg, he's a blessing. Every day you turn your car on, he's a blessing. Every day you go to the doctor and you're able to make it one more day, he's a blessing. Every moment of the day when your kids go out the door I come back in, he's a blessing. When is he not a blessing? Take for a minute. When is he not a blessing? There's COVID everywhere. You're here today when a million people die. Isn't he a blessing? Just for a minute. Take for a minute. You may have had a tough year, but he kept you through the year. He's a blessing. You may not have all the money you want, but he has enough money to take care of what you need. He's a blessing. He didn't say, I'll give you the desires of your heart until you choose to be a blessing. I'll give you your needs when you seek me. When you decide to walk with me with a surrendered heart, I will give you your desires. But until you do that, there's no desires. So God still took care of your needs. People sometimes when I land, they say, how was your flight? Perfect. It landed. They said, man, come on, man. People do all kinds of things on the plane. I know they try to change the perfume on the plane. They do do that. They pass gas. In case you missed that. The plane do all kinds of things. But I constantly tell them, I don't care. One thing, the plane landed. It's a perfect flight. I don't care how tough my life may be. Is God still the Lord? Yes, my plane going to land. I don't care how many things may go against me. Is my Lord still full of love because God is love? So I'm going to land. I'm good. Is God going to still listen to my prayers? I'm going to land. I'm good. Is God my provider? I'm going to land. He is good. So it doesn't matter what goes on. I can bless the Lord at all times. His praise can continually be out of my mouth. I can taste and see that the Lord is good. I can praise the name of God no matter the good or the bad because the Lord is always good. He's always right. So no matter what turbulence my life brings, I am going to land. If I don't land on this earth, I'll land in heaven. But I guarantee you, heaven is better than earth, so I didn't miss nothing. 
folks, if this don't commit to drive you to a zeal for God, your heart needs to readjust. Because anybody that can have this much in front of you and not create passion, that's not God. That's our hearts. And that's why I come back in closing to your Texans. Those who still support the Texans, after 30 years of promising a Super Bowl, you are a Texan. Everybody else that only show up when they're winning, you're a Houstonian, but you're not a Texan. Everybody, whether God does good or bad this week in your mind, he's always good. If God does anything in your mind this week, but you still walk around saying, God, I bless your name. I thank you. I love you, Lord. That's the person, he says, has the right heart, and it's that person that I bless.